Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delbert Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man, it is good to hear you and get up with you. Welcome back. And hey, y'all, we're back live today uh, after a four-week hiatus of... This, that, and the other, but we're we're ready and raring as we do today. The uh, text for the thirteenth Sunday after Pentecost. These are the texts for August the twenty seventh, twenty twenty three. And Bubba, we're going to talk texts. I can't wait to hear after all this time off. Things been fermenting up there in your brain. <laughs> you know everything we're going to bring today let me take care of one piece of business word from our sponsor as we get going today we have been working on and planning the lectionary lab preaching retreat a live workshop at luther ranch (laughs) ranch Ranch. it always sticks yeah uh, the Luther Ranch Retreat Center in T- uh, Tallapoosa, Georgia, and you all have seen the publicity on that September uh, dates, which are, escape me at the moment. I'm, I'm not very prepared, but uh, those three days just need to encourage those of you that have been considering going. And if you have missed the details, go to lectionarylab.com. It's right there pinned at the top of our of our website. September 26, 27, 28, Luther Ranch, Tallapoosa, Georgia, just an hour west of Atlanta on I-20. And there you have it, sports fans. We would love to have you. We do uh, need a certain number of folks to sign up. We've had several responses. If you're coming, let me just say we need to get those registrations in. Probably uh, no later than, say, uh, September the 10th, 12th, somewhere along in there, 15th. We would love to have you. It's going to be a great time, a great way to kick off year B. And, of course, we'll do that by examining the um, Advent texts, a little talk about Christmas, and uh, even maybe tiptoeing a little bit, looking forward to Epiphany. But we need to hear from you. So, Well, we, uh, in terms of our educational enterprise, uh, we have a, a, a quote that is now a motto for me about continuing education in ministry. Yes. Uh, my wife's family are deeply embedded in North Carolina Quakerism. There have been Quakers there for about 20 years after George the Fox and the, those folks created Quakerism. There have been some in eastern North Carolina from the early, late 1600s, early 1700s. Her family is a part of that. I was perusing one of the books called, let's see, The Carolina Quaker Experience, and it was talking about a meeting in 1887 Uh, what eventually became called the Friends United Meeting. All of the Quakers from that branch from uh, around the country at that time. 1887 in Richmond, Indiana, which was the home of Earlham College. And um, there were no educational requirements to enter 
quote, Quaker recorded ministry. You demonstrated ability in ministry. The local meeting recorded in their minutes that you were a minister. They said, nobody can make you a minister but God. So here's Mm -hmm. what they said. A gift in the ministry is not conferred by any educational process. Got their Quaker bona fides in. God calls. Said God does call the ignorant into God's service. Amen. But he does not require them to stay that way. (laughs) We are avoiding staying that way, John and I, by continually holding each other's feet to the fire about thinking about what we're doing. And we just invite you all along for the ride to, to battle our own ignorance. And uh, try to figure out what's going on in these texts. That's it. And we invite you to be there with us. It's a lot of fun and a lot very helpful for me. Refreshing and renewing to be face-to-face after such a long time away. So let us hear from you. Now, Bubba, let us hear from you, uh, and I will chime in. As we think about these texts, what do you got on your brain as we think about preaching for this coming Sunday? Well, uh, you know, if you probably remember, I love to find themes running through the text. It helps me think about to focus on what may be available after I read. So people ask me how I think about themes. I read the text, do a little commentary work, and then I sit and think, what's the pattern I'm feeling in here? What's Mm -hmm. leaping out at me? And so... The themes that I feel are running through all these texts are questions of identity. Questions of identity. Uh, you start with that wonderful Exodus text, that first line, I think it's one of the great opening lines of Scripture. There arose a Pharaoh in Egypt who knew not Joseph. There's so much packed into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in that text, you, hmm, this must be a Hebrew baby. And then the the giving of the name and the interpretation of the name. It's all about identity. Who are these people? What's going mm-hmm. on? And who are we? That's always the underneath question when you're hearing these uh, questions in Scripture. What mm-hmm. does that say about us? Um, you know, in uh, the Isaiah text, that looking to Abraham and Sarah, that's a question of identity. And the issue is... Our identity as the Hebrew people in exile goes all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, and that defines who we are, not our recent incarceration, if you will. Mm-hmm. Romans, who are we? Well, we are people who are not conformed to the world, yeah. but we are people who've been transformed by the renewing of our minds, and underneath that, unspoken is, by God. We didn't transform our own minds. Right. God has renewed our minds. And then, of course, the gospel lesson. Who do people say that I am? Yeah, what's going on out there, fellas? And Okay, that's great. Who do you say that I am? Questions of identity run through all this. And the questions are, one is, who is God? And then the second one is, who are we if this is who God is? Yeah. Uh, as I've often said, there's a, it's one sentence depending on how you write the word God-like. What is God-like? That's two words. What is God-like? And then the second one coming off that is then what is God-like yeah. Yeah. for us? Um, the questions also can come down to questions of who you're going to serve, as Bob Dylan puts. you got to serve mm-hmm. somebody. Mm-hmm. In, in Exodus, God or Pharaoh? 
in in the uh, Isaiah text, are you going to serve the God of the immediate past, which seemed to be an absent God, and you adjusted to life without God's presence, mm-hmm. or are you going to look at the distant past and the promise of the future, and 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 move forward into that God, that promise of the future? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the question with Romans is: Is God standing outside? And I have to please God, or is God inside, calling me, changing me, and calling me to serve others? Mm. And the question with Jesus again. So first of all, it's outside. Right. Look out. Who who do people say that I am? But then that second question, who do you say that I am, become, and then further as he moves the text toward suffering. Mm-hmm. then if we say Jesus is the Messiah, what does that mean? Does it mean he just comes and rescues us, or does it mean he invites us to be participants in his salvific event, which includes suffering? Yeah. yeah. So that's those that kind of dynamic goes on. Are we keeping God distant and, uh, and outside that we serve and he ser- takes care of us, or does it become an integrated event that changes our, transforms our lives? Gotcha. Gotcha. So, go to Exodus. I want to walk through these. I love, uh, we have a, a, an abundance of riches today. So. You do. You do. And I'll, I'll get my lick in early. Um, yeah. I, I, as you mentioned, that uh, first verse, verse 8, uh, the new king who did not know Joseph and proceeds to make, you know, all of these decisions, which, of course, we need this tension in the story. It's what drives it. Yeah. Um, but in my notes, I wrote, hey, this is this is a good word for leaders of all kinds. Be careful yes. when you do not know what you do not know. <laughs> and pastors, as as we come into churches, um, and even after you've been there for a while, you, you we should get a little more um, sensitive <laughs> when we know there's something going on that we don't know. But yeah, be careful. It did not know, and therefore made all these choices, and it sets up everything that's going to happen after this. Yeah, one of the things both of us do a lot of interim ministry work, and and I one of the things I found out is the training for interim ministry would be training for good training for anybody going into a correct interim or or full time. And one of the things is explore the church's history and not just what year they built the fellowship hall and who paid most of the money. Yeah. Find out what's going on. Do not be like the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, who did not know the dynamics <laughs> That's right. and reacted to what was immediately in That's front. right. Yeah. Yeah. Knew not Joseph. The story connects the Joseph cycle to Moses and Exodus. It, it connects the Genesis to what goes on in Exodus. It's a good transitional thing. And one through seven is transitional exposition. You'd kind of call it sort of sets everything up in generic general terms. So with one eight proper mm-hmm. is when we start with the story proper. And you've got this Pharaoh who looks around and there is, this is a story of oppression and resistance. Uh, this is a women's story all the way through. It's interesting to me that yeah. from the moment Pharaoh starts saying, we got to do something about these people. The heroes, the people who lead the resistance, are all women. Yeah. And I think it's all the way through here. It's a women's story. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that that happens is 
they choose between serving God or Pharaoh, the midwives. I love the line, they feared God. I, mm-hmm. I don't, in modern understanding, our English understanding of fear, we don't quite get it. Yes. They honored God. Correct. They trusted God. Mm-hmm. They, they, they knew who God was, and they knew that was more important yeah. than who Pharaoh was. And so it's interesting. They did a little um, subversion on behalf <laughs> of, uh, this is the story of subversive acts. Uh, of holy defiance, yeah. you know, when you have no, there's no real power. You find your power somewhere. Yeah, I, I love that story. Well, the Hebrew women are stronger than the hey. Egyptian women, and they go ahead and have the baby before we hey. get there to help them. And we nothing we can do about it. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of interesting. These two ladies uh, uh, do exercise power. Where they have yep. it, and again, it's pivotal yep. to the story. But I just I put them on my all Bible name team, all time yep. name team. Shifra and Pua, I love them. Their names, <laughs> uh, yeah. So one of the one of the things that I think it leaps out at many of us is that fear of the other, the immigrant, has been around for an awful long time. The language that's reflected in these stories, you know. The Pharaoh's language is exactly the same language you hear in Europe today when they talk about being overwhelmed. It's the language we hear of people that have great fear of the swell coming from the the global mm-hmm. south and uh, on both in Europe and in North America. We are it's this great fear of being overwhelmed and replaced, and these mm-hmm. people will do all these things, and that that's outside the realm of for me of. You know, what exactly we do about immigration policy at the border, this has to do with the the underneath emotional response of fear. Mm-hmm. And the response the Pharaoh is, has is very irrational. And it's what oppressive people do. They, they, they get, they, if I'll just exert my power and drive these people off, which mm-hmm. this story shows doesn't work. <laughs> Be careful uh, when you do not know what you do not know. There's, not a, know. there's a deeper power at work here. And, and part of this gets traced here, of course, is that God God honors, you know, you're, you're not going to fight God is the way the Hebrew scriptures mm-hmm. put it. I think that's possible. You know, that's a good interpretation. I think history just says you can't fight the tide, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of oppressive behavior. It doesn't ultimately in the long run work. you got to mm-hmm. find a way. To, to make that work. So yeah. the second part of this story, chapter 2, 1 through 10, is a more personal story in some ways. This other one is kind of this generic babies are happening and these two women, mm-hmm. there must be more midwives for if they're that huge a group. But, you know, they personalize it down to those two. And so then you got this one story. You got a marriage. The husband doesn't seem, Mo, Moses' dad doesn't really have much to do with it except as a sperm donor, I guess. He's, I mean, he's a Levite. We need that, you know. We so. need that. Mm-hmm. But then the mom and the sister, they figure out what to do. They're not going to let this baby get drowned. And they, it's interesting dynamic. Where the baby was supposed to die was where this place that it was saved. Mm-hmm. I think that dynamic is fascinating. He was supposed to throw it in the Nile to, to, to drown, they technically followed the law. They put him in the water, <laughs> in the basket, well, in the bulrushes, yeah. with the sister there to keep an eye on him. It's kind of like hid the baby. 
mm-hmm. and the princess finds it. And the, so she knows what she's doing. Even the, the Pharaoh's daughter is a subversive mm-hmm. and defiant. Ah, there you go. You know, she says, this must be a Hebrew baby. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't immediately say, so we got to drown it. She says, mm-hmm. and then the sister, you know, the whole thing, and the drawing right out, time. you know. And this is a great salvific story theme here. It was supposed to go in the water and die, but came out of the water alive. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a little, um, you know, how these stories of how things got their name, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of folk etymology, I, I right. guess you would say. But one of the interesting things is the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian word for son is very similar to the word Moses in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so we what we have here is this this wonderful story that sets up how it was that God saved the Hebrew people. We we trace it to Moses, but actually we got to trace it to these midwives and All to Moses' ladies. mother and sister and the princess. Mm-hmm. These women who re, who because of fear in God found a way. Mm-hmm. to lead to the rescue. And mm-hmm. and homiletically, you might talk about, we may think we have little to contribute, but we do what we can. In yeah. a world that seems overwhelming, we do what acts we can do. Trust it. If you're on the side of right, mm-hmm. you know, and you act as best you can, you might individually fail, mm-hmm. but defiance wins. Well, again, you're right. You you can look at any one of these points along this chain, no. starting with, yep. you know, uh, Shifra, uh, uh, on down the way to Moses' mama, Moses' yep. sister, to the princess. Uh, anyway, if any one of them had responded differently, the story would be different. Yep. Of course, the story's being told. <laughs> looking back to see when see in all of this see how god was working yeah, yeah. which is consistent with what we saw in genesis remember these are basically you know we divide it off like exodus and genesis are just two almost completely different books but it's really just the story going on and we've seen it again and again there's a threat to the covenant the you know the the work of god is needed and it happens in the everydayness of imperfect people but it happens god is with us I'm a- Make quick reference to the psalm because there's a lot of texts yep. to deal with today. But 124 verses uh, six and seven, I think, tie in very well. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Blessed be the Lord who's on our side. It's this tracing of God's on our side in the midst of whatever we find ourselves in, and we have Moses popped out of this massive trap and survived. (laughs) So moving to Isaiah, it's the second Isaiah. The exile is ending. Uh, And the people, the the exiles have mixed emotions. Um, They have both fear and hope. Uh, You know, entropy is, uh, happens as you made mention of congregations, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to choose between a present that's painful, but you understand the rules, or a future that's hopeful and could be bright but comes with danger and difficulty, many of us will stay right where we are. Uh, One of the dictums of therapy is that um, 
people only change when the pain of staying how they are gets worse than the pain of changing. Correct. Change is difficult. Mm-hmm. And so what Isaiah is faced with is these people, oh, I just wish we could go back to Jerusalem. I just wish we could go back to Jerusalem. I really want to go. This is so, And then they can go. Mm-hmm. Right? They can go. And they're going, well, ah. you know, the desert's dangerous. It's a long way. Things aren't the same there as they used to be. You know, we'll have to rebuild. I don't know. I, I've, you know, my my boy's graduated from University of Babylon. He's got a good government job, and <laughs> and, and and we got a nice little part. I mean, it's not Israel, and, yeah. and there are problems, but yeah, it, it's safe. You know, this is what he's dealing with, mm-hmm. and he reminds them. That's why I say the what is it? The recent hit. Do you gonna stay stuck in your recent history? Are you willing to look at the long history of God's acts mm-hmm. with God's people and what God's done? So he goes back all the way to Abraham and Sarah, and these references have to do with leading through the journey through the pro- to the promised land, the rock, the quarry from which you know the rock has this issues of of uh, water coming from a rock. You can come up with this imagery that he's playing mm-hmm. with. And then the leading through the Exodus to the Promised Land. We we've been there before, people. Yeah, look, right. yeah. listen, yeah. Back. remember. I love it. Look, listen, remember. There you go. There's your outline. Listen, folks. look, and remember to what God has. Look at what God has done. Mm-hmm. Remember how God rescued us, and listen to the promise of the future. Yeah. And part of that is. You're not. I'm not yours just to keep you safe. That's why he tells the light to the nations and the justice. Mm-hmm. He says, "I got bigger plans than y'all just sitting and and honoring a, a a distant past." A lot of congregations you go to have lost hope in the future, particularly these days. I mean, we're the the Protestant church, the mainline church, is most places is in a bit of a struggle, and so a lot of places get stuck at saying, how can we keep alive in the immediate present? When they look at the past, they look at it as, well, that was nice, but we can't go there. And they can't find a way to look to the future because it requires too much change and danger. And these words of Isaiah are, look to that past and realize what danger those folk went through to move forward. Our history is full of difficulty and danger. Mm-hmm. It's also full of God. That's it. Remember. That's it. And, and and it is remembering the covenant. We've talked about how the covenant is, is preserved. And now here, years, 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 many, many hundreds of years after the time of Moses, etc. In essence, Isaiah says, you've got to remember the covenant. It's not just for you. God's plan has always yep. been for the redemption of the world, of the very creation. So, yeah. And and Psalm 138, I think in particular, tying to that point is the verses 4 and following. All the kings of the earth shall mm-hmm. praise you. If they have heard the words of your mouth, they shall sing the ways of the Lord for the great, you know, throughout the world. That touches base with that ju- mm-hmm. love and justice yeah. kind of issues that Isaiah raises. Moving on to Romans... 
I love the I love this this period of time. By the ordinary time with six texts, it's like pop pop pop. Let me mm-hmm. see what I can talk yeah. about. Romans. Therefore, the first, that line that says therefore mm-hmm. in verse twelve refers back to the whole chap first eleven mm-hmm. chapters. Yeah. This is this the pivot is, point. This is the pivot point. And the key question in those first eleven chapters is summed up in that famous line, should we sin the more that grace may abound? <laughs> the question people have with Paul's theology, then and now, is it lacks an adequate ethical base. <laughs> people mm. continue yeah. to think, if there are no rules, there will be no ethics. Mm. I find it really interesting, uh, you know, the issues with the current Supreme Court and some of those things that people keep saying, well, no wonder we don't have any ethics on the Supreme Court. They have no rules to go by. And I'm like, uh, they're the friggin' Supreme Court. Do they really need somebody to tell them <laughs> you don't take stuff from rich people who have cases in front of you? Mm. Will rules choose? That's the, that's that's the question. Mm-hmm. No rules, no ethics. That's what they're saying to Paul. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of people who need guidelines. After all, you know, we come from a tradition that gave us the Ten Commandments and mm. 613 Commandments, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we have a somewhat legalistic history at one level. But Paul's answer is the question, and I alluded to this earlier in the themes, is where do you place God? Right. If God is on the outside... Either holding a, like the principal in the school or the government, mm-hmm. government, as we said when I was growing up, the government or the government. law, they call them the law or the government, whoever that external force, and they've set a bunch of rules, and if you go by them, you'll be fine, and if you don't, you'll be in trouble. If you set that up, if you remove the rules and don't replace it with anything, then you've got problems because the rules say whether or not in school you graduate or you get expelled or all those things in the world, whether you, you know, you, whether you measure up, there are all these rules. Mm-hmm. But Paul says that's not the world we're operating in in terms of God. God does not stand outside us giving us rules and then seeing whether we measure up. God is inside, inside not outside, right? in us. And so this is when he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the renewing doesn't say be transformed by renewing your mind. Mm-hmm. Very important. Right. The renewing of your mind, that is God does it, Christ's been dwelling. Yeah. There's something going on in here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the that's the gospel, as as uh, Dr. Hofler at Southern Seminary said, where's the gospel in this text? He's a mm-hmm. preaching professor. Well, the gospel in here is God transforms us. Yeah. Therefore, is the verses 3 through 8, because they're talking about our life together. And it continues to be, notice it says the gifts. That is, the gift comes from outside, and the gift is not for ourselves. Mm-hmm but it is for the service of others. And we have this life together because people are raising the issue. Well, 
ethics. So how do people behave with one another? Well, they behave mm-hmm. toward one another in this way because God has gifted us with transforming us so that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We know who we are, that mm-hmm. God has blessed us. Uh, we have many members and we have all these gifts that differ according. So you got prophecy and faith and ministry mm-hmm. and teaching, exhortation, generosity, all for the sake of our life together. Right. They're not something we exercise so that God can say, all right, that one's doing a real good job. They get to go, oh, no, that one, I gave that one the gift mm-hmm. of teaching. But it's not for that purpose. Yeah. It's external as God works through us for the sake of others. Yeah. I love Paul uh, many times, and much of the time I'm frustrated with him at others. But I, I love this. These phrases are so rich, and what you've just yeah. laid out is such a perfect example of what that first verse ends with, your spiritual worship. This is very uh, logical. Literally, the word here is logikos. It's it, it's reasonable. It, it makes sense. This is how this is coming um, is, is coming to be, and it's worship. It's it's liturgy. It's what you serve. Yes. It's what you give. It's the work you have. And it's not a phrase that would ring from a sermon, but I'm, I just no. made my note. It's logical liturgy. It's <laughs> this life we live. It, it just yeah. makes sense if well, we just, yeah, yeah. Depends on who you preach it to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the word logical well, liturgy. <laughs> and and log, logical being, and you made this distinction, it's not just something yeah. you think about and go, oh, okay, no. I'll decide to do this. What no. it is is realizing God at work within us and all this work that, that Paul has done in, in chapters 1 through 11 of the Spirit, uh, the, the Spirit at work with us, oh, well, duh. Yeah, it's logical that it would issue forth this way. That makes I, sense. I, yeah. I heard something this week that was not about Paul, but it made me think of Paul. Somebody was talking uh, about people who read people like, say, Nietzsche or other people, and they come upon a sentence they don't like, and they just chuck the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, various philosophers or whatever. And they said, no, that's not the way you do this. You read and say, there's brilliance in here. Mm-hmm. There's stuff to deal with. And, oh, that, I don't agree with that, but that's not integral mm-hmm. to what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. That's eccentricity. You know, I love the lines where he says, well, I don't have a word from the Lord on this. <laughs> well, sometimes he says things he doesn't acknowledge he doesn't have a word from the Lord on mm-hmm. it, but I'm willing to bet he didn't have a word yeah. from the Lord on it. This is what I was, when you say, I love Paul. I love Paul's underneath basic understanding Mm -hmm. of what it means for the gospel to transform us Mm -hmm. rather than our putting in the effort to be conformed right some of the application as we used to say in that he makes of this i just i don't either Mm -hmm. don't disagree disagree with in whole or say Mm -hmm. well that might have been important then Mm -hmm. but that's this that's then and this is now yeah. You have to differentiate that stuff, yeah. and we know that. You got it. Well, got a few minutes, 10 minutes on the gospel here or thereabouts, so let's do it. Uh, Matthew sixteen thirteen through 20. I'm going to just make a Delmer declaration here, you know, and you can like it or lump it. <laughs> Please do not turn this into an evangelistic moment. Just don't. 
Don't look at the people as though how they decide to answer the question who Christ is determines their salvation. Eternal fate, yeah. It it's easy to go this thing and then you know and then turn to people and say, Now here's the important question. Who do you say that Jesus is? This could determine your eternal fate. Who do you say that Jesus is? I want to point out who you say Jesus is doesn't change a whit about who Jesus who is. Who Jesus is. <laughs> so be careful. Uh, be yeah. careful here. Mm-hmm. This is not what the text is trying to say. And a, uh, another person I was reading while I was off uh, and um, was, talk- was an Old Testament scholar, but one of the things he was saying was a text can never mean something it never meant. Mm. Text can never mean mm-hmm. something it never meant. Uh, they originally got that from uh, a uh, <coughs> Old Testament scholar at uh, Earlham School of Religion. I already mentioned Earlham and the mm-hmm. Quakers. They did eventually create a seminary. Uh, they did not make the degree a master of divinity at first. They called it a master of ministry. They just didn't think anybody could master divinity. So <laughs> Anyway... Be careful and make sure you know what the text means because it can't mean something it never meant. Mm. So what does this text mean? Uh, What is the point of what is said here by Matthew in this text? Now, first of all, the first part, basically 13 through 16, is pretty much identical to Mark and Luke. Mm -hmm. 17 and 19 is uh, some, some things that Matthew had to say. There, there are two basic understandings as you read all of those Gospels, the synoptics, and you come to this point, is there's been a gradual revealing of who Jesus is. Some, you know, beginning with his baptism. It was witnessed by some, and the dove comes and says, this is my beloved son, you know. And you've got this this gradual revealing and questions who is this that does this who is this it's kind of a the first half of all the synoptics has an element of the lone ranger in them who is this masked man i saw a meme on the internet this week that said my my measure of an intellectual is somebody who can listen to the william tell overture and not think of the lone ranger i said i'm no intellectual the minute that song starts all i can think is high o silver But, you know, the Lone Ranger was always ended with, who was that masked man? Well, the early parts of the Gospels have that, who was that masked man? Who did this? Who is he? He's not like your typical rabbi. Uh, A, in, in what he does, he speaks with too much authority. He heals. But he's also got that country accent from up there in Nazareth. And mm-hmm. he's a hick. And, and what uh, what's going on here? Who is this guy? Yeah. So it comes to a head in this story, and it's kind of like uh, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the the traditional source, where all of this comes from. All three is basically listing the various answers that have come up so far. It's like in a mystery novel where you mm-hmm. have the 
the the detective and his friend sitting in front of the fire with a brandy and they're going over everything that's yeah. happened so far to remind us of the various suspects and how they've been discounted so you can move forward that's the scene we have mm-hmm. here and they they list all these people who do they say that i am well john the baptist who's dead at this point and maybe and uh elijah mm-hmm. Famous. Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're trying to identify who he is by measuring in the past. That's a summation. Then he says, but who do you say that I am? And at this point, this is not a general question for the crowd, the world, the people. It's for these disciples who have been picked from the beginning to follow him and push a message. This is an apostolic Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. for the church later. This is... What this is about is telling the early church the message of who Jesus is was passed on directly to the apostles and through the apostles to them. And the message came from revelation rather than figuring it out in their head. Because what happens is uh, Peter answered, and you should put it there for all of them. Mm. You know, this is this is Peter answering basically for all of them. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's often said that Jesus never said he was God. Well, this is the closest he ever came. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. This has been revealed to you, not by flesh and blood. He owns the title. You can argue a bit about the title and whether it means that he is identified as the Son of God in in a kind of uh, hypostatic union kind of way. But he owns something of saying, I'm divine and I'm here. He claims it. For flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, there's also a a lot of question about the rock. I take the position that uh, the rock is uh, the rock of faith, Mm -hmm. the faith that has been given not by flesh and blood, by but by God, yep. and this rock, nothing will will take away, is this given faith. Uh, the the issue of the keys, um, you know, I don't think it's it's obviously this is a very Protestant position I'm taking here because yeah. you know there's the the Peter and the the rock and the, the Pope and you know all of that mm-hmm. stuff and I'm mm-hmm. not going to argue that point I think a, a Protestant position is it has to do with the faith not with the man individual and the keys is not directly tied to the confession and forgiveness through the right mm-hmm. of confession it has to do with the church has the obligation to preach the gospel and it, it is given yeah. from Jesus to the apostles, the 12, with Peter as a representative, to the church, and it's telling them who they are. Yeah, if Peter if Peter speaks for the disciples here, which I, I think is a good reading here, Jesus gives them the question, Peter yeah. speaking on behalf of the others, and probably they're all looking around like, aren't you going to say something, Peter? You usually yeah. do. Yeah. Then, then Christ's reply is not just to Peter. It's no. to these apostles. It is to the church. And therefore, it comes to us, to this and day. And part, part of the tension for the early church mm-hmm. was they're a very small group. 
the apostles are dying off. Mm-hmm. You know, cry, you know, they're facing the accu- you know, the issues that the gospels are there to address the issues that the early church is facing mm-hmm. at the time the gospels were written. And one of those is, how do you know this? How do you know that which you proclaim to us? We know because Jesus affirmed the apostles in their belief that he was the Messiah. And they affirmed the apostles taught it to us. And we, that's the apostolic succession. I used to call it, it's more the evangelical succession, mm-hmm. the good news succession. Mm-hmm. The story keeps getting told. Yeah. And we are a part of that train. The other, the other quick thing I want to do there is, you look at Simon, and I, you know, I don't know, was there anybody less a rock than Peter? Not very stable, was he? Early on, especially. But he became a rock. Mm-hmm. I think there's some homiletic st- stuff to be mined there, or <laughs> ledger domain. Yeah, there, there's so I was trying to find there's something to be worked on there with that yeah. image of because none of us are who God has called us to be. It's said that we are we're baptized in in the Lutheran Church. Most people are baptized as infants, but it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. with an infant baptism. We are told at our baptism we are somebody we know we're not quite there yet. Yeah. Beloved child of God. And the parents are standing there saying, yeah, this, this kid's driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't home with him at 2 a.m., Peter. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Preacher, you ain't dealing with this demon at 2 o'clock in the morning, pooping all over everything. God looks at us. This is why I love infant baptism. This is one of them. Is because the imagery is that God proclaims us to be what God will transform us into. Mm-hmm. And by being continually told that's who we are, we live into it just as Peter lived into being a rock of faith. The Peter that said, I I don't know him, Uh, you know, the various things that, you know, the falling away, the sinking under the water, all Mm -hmm. these things, that Peter became the one who stood up on Pentecost and preached and stood before the Sanhedrin and whether it be wise to serve God or man, well, you know, we right will serve on. God. Transformation is the, the risen Christ living within him. Mm-hmm. And being Peter became whom God proclaimed him to be. Mm-hmm. God proclaims us, the church, the people, you know, the people with faith, people yeah. who bind and lose sense. And we try, we live into that. The more we trust it, the more we are it. Yeah. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. To your point briefly, do not try to turn this passage into a moment of evangelical law, twisting or presentation. And the, the, the passage for today ends with, he sternly ordered disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Don't run out of here. I'm not finished yet. And there's more to this. There's more to this. And so don't run out of here with half the story. I'm going to go all the way back up to the Pharaoh that started our story today. Be careful going out and preaching uh, before you know all the story. You know, be careful uh, talking about 
things that you don't know that you don't know. And so this this work of God, this work of Christ in our lives is ongoing, always available for sharing. But um, as one of my professors at Vanderbilt, not um, uh, my friend uh, Dr. Mills, but uh, rather Professor Sally McFaig said one day in class, I believe that one of the things the church, the Christian faith could use is uh, a dose of humility. Because we are so akin to saying, oh, no, this is what we know. Oh, there's a, eh, a dose of humility. Yeah. God is with us. It's good news. I agree, Baba. Amen and amen. Hey, one more time. Y'all come join us at the Lectionary Lab Retreat. Get online. You can find the link at uh, lectionarylab.com. And we will look forward to seeing you. We'll be back next week. And we're going to continue uh, some of this good stuff, especially this next bit of Romans. I'm uh, I'm enjoying this uh, sort of two-week stretch and here. If you come one night, we will have a contest <laughs> for those of you who are regular listeners. And the contest will be, we're going to pick the top ten stupidest things Delmer has said <laughs> on the lecture lab. <laughs> Keep, go back, do what? reviews, think it through, things you've heard what? me say, and you went, what? Work, work now on your submissions, Submission. and uh, we'll, we'll, we will be good. Likely to be accompanied by beverages of one's choice. Yeah, and the, and the more choices we have, <laughs> the stupider the things Delmer okay. said will become. All right. All right, Bubba. See you not all. It's not much left for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with a beautiful choral setting of the gospel song, Flee as a Bird. From Psalm 124, the text and tune are by Mary B. Dana. The arrangement is by Joseph Martin. Mountain, all who